Hope you're doing well today. Oh, somebody catch this. There you go. Oh, yes, perfect. I don't even know what you're going to do with that, but Merry Christmas. You're like, uh, good, awesome. Well, how are you this morning? Fantastic. Whoever that said that, you get a gold star for the morning. Uh, turn to your neighbor, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to share the greatest thing that you've done so far since being at Winter Meltdown. And then, before you go, wait, 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 before you go, when you share with them, then I want them to turn back and share with you. So go. Well, let me share with you the greatest thing that I've done so far. I, so far, had this really, this is kind of random, but I had this really, really good, like, cream soda thing at the, is it Snack Shack deal? Like, it was raspberry with ice with cream and, like, fizz, and I'm like, yes, my life is perfect. Merry Christmas to me. So that was my best thing so far, I'd say but there's lots of time. Rachel actually has never been sledding, so she's from Texas, and so we're going to go sledding this afternoon, so we may see a couple of you guys on the sledding hill if you want to see a Texan go sledding for the first time, so that will be fun as well. But let's pray, and then we will jump into God's Word this morning. I'm excited to be with you. I hope you slept well. Probably didn't. It's winter meltdown, but we'll pray, and then we'll jump into God's Word together this morning. Sound good? All right. Lord, you are good, and even as we sang this morning and have uh, been reflecting on the truth that from the rising to the setting of the sun, your name is to be praised, that there's no one like you. You're strong to save, you're faithful in love, and Lord, we look at scripture, and from the very beginning, we see that your faithfulness has been true that there's not one promise of the Lord that has failed. And so we look back and we realize, Lord, you've been good to your people. You've been good from the beginning of creation. And we look to the future and we realize we can have confidence to know that you're going to be good uh, to us. And so, Lord, I just thank you so much for who you are. Thank you that we serve a God who is holy and is not like us. And Lord, I pray that that this weekend, that that would grow in our minds more and more. Lord, I just think specifically of our text this morning as we look at Colossians chapter 1. And Lord, there are not many passages in, this, in the Bible that speak to the deity of Jesus and that raise Jesus up on a, on a pedestal and just say, this is who your God is. And so, Lord, in many ways, I feel inadequate to communicate how big these truths are. And so I pray that Lord, it wouldn't be me doing that, but Lord, that we would see your word and that through your word and through your spirit that we would leave this morning with just a massive understanding of who Jesus is. And Lord, we know that when we understand who Jesus is and we understand his worth and his value, that everything in our life has to change. That for those of us who have never had a relationship with Jesus, we have to to come to faith, and Lord, for those that do, it changes our priorities, and so I pray that you'd help us to see that in the text this morning, 
uh, and to walk away from this place differently because of it. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a number of years ago, I had the opportunity to go on a missions trip to South Africa. So I was in college, like my freshman year of college, we went to, to South Africa. And while we were there, we did a number of things. We helped out at a couple different churches. So we did things like painting and remodeling and all this different stuff, which I don't know why they wanted me to paint. I'm terrible at painting, but we painted some places. And then we visited a bunch of orphanages. And then the last like week to week and a half that we were there, we were in kind of like this orphanage village, which was really cool actually, because you had a lot of orphans that were also part of the family who were adopted then by like families. And so these families would live here. There's like a mother and a father, and then they had their own kids, and then they would adopt these orphans. And it was just a really cool situation. But while we were in South Africa, one of the stops that we were in was Kokstad, South Africa. And really the best way to describe Kokstad is like it's Ankeny, Iowa, but in the middle of South Africa. It's just, it's weird how much it just reminds you of just kind of suburbs. And so that's where we were. And one of the uh, stops while we were there, we were staying with host families. And so they paired us up with this host family, and I was really excited because my host family that I was staying with was located like 45 minutes outside of town. So you have kind of like this small-ish city with like less lights, so Ankeny, but with no street lights. kind of imagine that. And then it's small, and then we're outside of town even further than that. And so I'm like, awesome. I bet... We're going to be out kind of in the foothills of these mountains. We're going to get to see the stars. It's going to be awesome. Like, I've never been outside of Des Moines in any kind of significant way up to this point where you can, like, look up and be like, oh, that's the sky. Awesome. And so I was pretty excited about this. I love stars. I think it's cool, and that may make me weird. You've already established that. But I'm getting excited. And so I kind of mentioned this to our host family, and they're like, oh, man, you like the stars. You just wait. This is going to be awesome. And so we drove for about 45 minutes, about the last 15 minutes of it, if I'm remembering right. Uh, there were like no streetlights. We're like on a dirt road, and then we're kind of in the foothills. There's this mountain. It's called like Dragon Mountain, I think it was called. And so we're out in the middle of nowhere. And so I'm really, really excited. I'm getting ready to, you know, pack up, go to sleep, get everything ready for the night. And I'm just really looking forward. Like in my mind, I'm like, okay, awesome. We're here, but I'm going to look at the stars. It's going to be great. And so I kind of waited till everybody went to bed. It was about 40 degrees, so just a little bit colder. And so it's a good situation, right, for the stars. There's not going to be a lot of clouds or whatever. And so I wait, and everybody went to bed, and I kind of like snuck out. And I looked up at the sky, and I was super disappointed. I look up, and I'm like, it's overcast. What is the deal with the sky? They said it was going to be awesome, and there's just clouds, right? Well, I kept looking. And all of a sudden, I realized, oh, it's not overcast. That's the Milky Way. That's not a cloud. That's the stars, like, going straight through the middle of the sky. And in a moment, I'm like, oh, my goodness. This is way better than I ever imagined. And I'm, like, trying to find things like the Big Dipper. I'm like, where is it? I don't even know. And it doesn't help like your southern hemisphere. So everything's kind of like turned upside down. I'm like, where's the Big Dipper? Where's Orion? Where are these constellations that used to be really easy to find? And now they're like stuck in the middle of this like cloud star cluster thing going on, right? And in a moment, I went from this is dumb to oh my goodness, 
I serve a God who made that. And at first, I got really excited because I saw a falling star. I'm like, first time ever, oh man. And I'm like, oh, you can just stare at the same spot in the sky and they just keep coming. Like, it's amazing. And it was crazy. Like, Nick, why do you share that? Well, the truth is that for many of us here today, we know a lot about Jesus, right? We know that he died on the cross for our sins. We understand that he is God. And many of us believe that he rose from the dead. But my prayer is that for us today, that God would do something in our hearts where something clicks. Where we realize, yeah, Jesus is God, but oh man, he's so much bigger than I could have ever imagined. And can I just tell you, that's something that will keep happening in your life over and over and over. And so my prayer today is that God would do that in your heart and that he would do that again in my heart. Even as I was walking through this passage and preparing, it just, it refreshes and stirs in your heart just a greater and greater awareness for who Jesus is, that he is the greatest person in all of the universe. And if that's true, it should change the way I live. And so we're going to look at this text. And, and man, I can just, I just want to be honest with you, like coming to a text like this, every single part of me feels super inadequate because I can say all of the right words to us this morning. I can point us towards all of the right things, but at the end of the day, the only thing that is going to open our eyes to see what is true about Jesus is if the Spirit of God works in our hearts and our lives. And so I'm praying that that'll happen today, but I'm so, so pumped because Colossians chapter 1 is probably one of the greatest texts to talk about who Jesus is in the entire Bible. And we just need to know that the book of Colossians, it was written to people in about 60 to 62 AD. You're like, Nick, I don't care. Why would I want to know that? Well, let me just tell you, the book of Colossians was written not long after Jesus rose from the dead. So imagine this morning, if you turned to your counselor, and rather than reading in Colossians about Jesus raising from the dead and how awesome he is, you just turned to your counselor and said, so what was it like listening to Jesus teach? And they're like, it was amazing. No one ever spoke like this man. He spoke with authority and power. And then we thought he was dead and he rose from the dead. So you're turning to your counsel. Imagine if that was the case. Because that's what it was like for the people that Paul was writing to. That it wasn't hundreds and hundreds of years after Jesus rose from the dead that he's writing to them. It was like right after the, the fact. And yet, even a couple of years after Jesus rose from the dead, there were already conversations and ideas creeping into the church that Jesus wasn't as powerful as he said he was. That, sure, Jesus was a great teacher, but he wasn't enough to save us. And they were beginning to add different ideas about Jesus. They were elevating this idea of worshiping angels. Weird. They were beginning to teach these like really empty and deceptive philosophies. People were beginning to put more faith in dreams and visions and different things like that than they were in who Jesus is. So I don't know about you, but I like when I dream have really weird dreams. And so imagine like your friend comes to you and he's like, hey, dude, you'll never believe it. I had the craziest dream. By the way, this is like a regular conversation for Rachel and I. She has weird dreams. And so I'm like, hey, what'd you dream about? It was crazy. A llama did such and such. I'm like, oh, wow, weird. Um, but imagine you like your friend comes to you and it's like, hey, what'd you dream about last night? Like, yeah, it was so odd. I was just in a chair and they're like, that's not weird. 
Like, no, but the chair was flying. And I was sitting in it and, like, using this little manual thing to drive me around Costco that was really big and, like, I don't understand it. And, like, the aisles kind of, like, never ended. And so it was, like, sort of Costco, but it was kind of, like, this labyrinth thing. And it was so weird because after that happened, then, like, there was my growth group and my small group there. And it was weird because my youth group was there, but also the people that I worked with at Fairway, I don't know, randomly they were there. And then they started talking, but they weren't talking about the Bible. They were talking about, like, Dungeons and Dragons. I don't even know what that is. It was weird. And then all of a sudden, I, I don't know how it happened, but I wasn't in the chair anymore. I had an ice cream scoop that was the size of a shovel, and I was eating Neapolitan ice cream with it. And your friend tells you this, and you're like, that's so weird. And they're like, yeah, I think the Lord is trying to talk to you through that. <laughs> I think what he means, I'm not even going to try to make up what he means. And they, they come and they do this. Imagine, that'd be so odd. And yet, in many ways, that's what was happening in the, the life of the Colossian believers. They were lowering the value of who Jesus was, and they were raising up these weird ideas and these empty, deceptive philosophies, and they were trying to teach the people in Colossae that, that being godly isn't about your love for the Lord or growing in your relationship with him, but it came primarily through working really hard and doing all of these things and living in a way that was really, really rigorous, and they were promoting all of these things. And what happened was, the idea and the understanding of who Jesus was was being diminished. And so Paul comes along and he says, hey, not right. Jesus is God. Paul comes along and says, I know your dream about Costco is sweet. They didn't have Costco back then. But Jesus is sufficient. He's enough. He's all-powerful. He's the greatest in the universe. You don't need to add to Jesus all of these dreams, visions, hardworking, whatever. Jesus is enough. And Colossians 1, verses 15 through 20, is really intended to be like a KO punch to people who are diminishing the person of Jesus, who are talking and lowering the value of who Jesus was. And you say, that's really cool, Nick. What does that have to do with us today? Well, the reality is this, that for many of us, we believe that Jesus is a good guy, but man, it's hard to make him the center of our life, isn't it? We believe that Jesus is powerful, but it's really hard to trust him with our day-to-day circumstances, isn't it? And even if you look at the world and the landscape of, that we live in, Every year, books are being published that teach that Jesus was awesome, but he was just a great man. There's books that are being published that say Jesus wasn't awesome, his disciples lied, and that's how we think about him as God today. There's entire religions that would say Jesus is just a prophet. That's cool, but he's not the son of God. And then maybe a little bit more close to home for us is how often do we go to a feeling or good vibes or even peace within our own heart to make decisions rather than doing what we know Jesus would want us to do. We make decisions, we say, ah, I have a peace about this. And you know it's not in scripture, but it's like, I have a peace about it. And so even today, this idea of diminishing the role of Jesus in our lives and, and lowering our understanding of him is actually something that applies to us today in a very, very specific way. And so what we're gonna see in this text is this, that Jesus alone is supreme over creation. That just means that he's above all of creation and that he's sufficient or powerful enough to save us. He's sufficient to save us and he's supreme over creation. So look with me. It's in Colossians chapter one, 
verse 15, and it says this. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And so we see that Jesus is supreme over all of creation. He's above all of creation. And Paul just gives us a couple of reasons why that's true. The first reason why he says it's true is because he's the image of the invisible God. He's the image of the invisible God. And so when Paul writes that Jesus is the very image of God, he's telling us this, that the nature and the character of God have been perfectly revealed to us or made known to us in Jesus. That through Jesus, what was once invisible has now been made visible. And so it's really hard to wrap our minds around this, but do you remember the story of Moses? So Moses goes up on the mountain. He's talking with God. And he says, Lord, show me your glory. And God says this to him. He says, I'm going to cause my goodness to pass in front of you. And I'm going to proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I'm going to have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one can see me and live. In John 1.18, Jesus says, no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side has made him known. And this is why in John 14.9, Jesus says to himself, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? And so throughout Scripture, the, the thing that we see is that if you want to know what God is like, do you want to know what his character is? Do you want to know the kind of person or God that you serve? Get to know Jesus. That Jesus is the one who shows us the Father. And that's why in Hebrews 1.3 it says that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. And he is the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. And so Jesus is above all creation because he's the very image of God Almighty. When you look at Jesus, that's how you get to know the Father. He's the image of God. A guy named Peter O'Brien says that the very nature and character of God have been perfectly revealed in him. In him, invisible has become visible. And man, how kind of God to do that, right? That God creates the world and then he says, I want to be near my people. I'm going to come down and dwell among men. That's Emmanuel, God with us, that Jesus comes down and is the image of God so we can know what God is even like. That's such a good gift from the Lord. Jesus isn't just supreme or above all of creation because he's the image of God, but he's also supreme and above all of creation because he's the firstborn or your Bible might say first place of all of creation. And the idea of firstborn really is that. It's the idea of being first place. And so when the Bible uses the word firstborn, it's not always referring to the firstborn in terms of a timeline. So I'm the firstborn in my family. There's me, Jake, May, or Chris, and Mason. Uh, wow, sorry, Chris. <laughs> Sheesh. So there's four of us, and I'm the firstborn of those. 
When the Bible uses the term firstborn here, he's not, it's not talking about that. It's actually talking about first in rank. And we see that an example of that is Psalm 89, verse 20 and 21, where God says, I'm going to make David the firstborn, the highest of all the kings of the earth. And so David was definitely not the firstborn. He was the little guy. And yet there in Psalms, God is saying, I'm going to make him the firstborn or the first in rank. And it's the same idea when we see it here in Colossians, that Paul is writing and he's saying Jesus is the firstborn over all creation, that he's the highest in rank, that there's nothing above him, no one above him. There's no one in all of creation that is greater than Jesus. And that's not because he was a created being. It's because he holds first place. And Paul tells us why Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. Look with me at verse 16. Actually, verse 17, I'm sorry. And he is before, or excuse me, uh, yeah, verse 16. For in him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. And so understand, when you look up at the sky, every single galaxy that you see was created by Jesus, and is held together and sustained for Jesus. That when you look down at the ground, every ant that you step on and terminate its life is created by Jesus and for Jesus. That every molecule in your body, every ocean, every body of water, every mountain, every boulder, iceberg, plant, fruit, animal, mineral, person, owes its existence to Jesus. And that's why in verse 17 it says that he is before all things and in him all things hold together. In other words, the very fact that we are sitting here today is evidence that Jesus is owning and sustaining and holding together the universe. It's incredible. What holds the universe together is not a virtue but a person. It's Jesus. And if he were to stop speaking and stop working, gravity would stop working, we'd be on the ceiling or imploded or something. The nuclei around atoms would stop spinning, planets would stop orbiting, and everything would be chaotic because Jesus holds it all together. I love this quote, and it's kind of like hard to wrap your brain around, but I'm going to do it because for those of you that love it, uh, you'll love it. It says this, tree, God says, and there is one. But he doesn't say the word tree. He speaks the tree itself. He needs no shortcuts. He is not merely calling a tree into existence through his voice. His voice is the tree's existence. So understand that like, the fact that Jesus creates is not like Jesus saying, hey, I'm just going to create a tree. The very act of him saying tree is like both making the tree and holding the tree together. Does that make sense? It's like kind of, ah, wow. I like read that. I'm like, I don't know if I even understand that. It's just confusing. It's crazy. What? No way. But understand, he didn't just create the tree. He didn't just create your dog or your cat or your baby sibling or whatever. Like he didn't just create it. He holds it together. That his active speaking and holding things together is what maintains even the universe. And so everything that you see this morning, every molecule, every atom in your body, every political structure, 
Every king and president, whether visible and invisible, owes his existence to Jesus. He sustains all things. And if you were to stop speaking even for a moment, everything that you see and everything that I see and even the things that I don't and that you don't would dissolve into oblivion. And yet here we are, sitting here, listening to God's word. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. He holds it together, and it's for that reason that he's preeminent. So last week was the Super Bowl. I almost forgot about it, except that it's everywhere. But the Kansas City Chiefs played the San Francisco 49ers. I only knew that when I showed up to the Super Bowl party that I was a part of. So some of you are like, yes, go Chiefs. Some of you are like, go 49ers. I'm like, whatever. But what I do know is that the Chiefs, we got a Chiefs in over here, all right. We got a the Chiefs won 31 to 20, I think. Yeah, 31 to 20. Go Chiefs. So, fun fact, actually, the only reason I started, I cheered for the Chiefs is because uh, Rachel had somebody that went to her school that was on the team, and we're like, yeah, we're like part of the team, yeah. But the Chiefs beat the San Francisco 49ers 30 to, 31 to 20. Awesome. Right on. Go Chiefs. Next year, I'll be cheering for whoever wins. It'll be awesome. But imagine this. Chiefs win the game. They're like celebrating. They're crying, tears of joy, calling their mom. Like, mom, I did it. She's like, I know, I'm watching. San Francisco 49ers are crying like, this is the worst day ever. And all of a sudden, the NFL rep guy wearing his big suit and fancy stuff. By the way, his like hanky probably costs more than my car. Just saying. I thought of that while I was watching. I was like, wow. But he comes out and he's like, as the representative of the NFL, and da, 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 I would like to officially congratulate the San Francisco 49ers for their win in the Super Bowl 50-whatever. And he brings out those t-shirts because, you know, they make two sets of t-shirts, right? One for the winning team, and then they kind of give the other ones, like, goodwill or something. And so he brings out the box that says San Francisco 49ers, Super Bowl champs, and he hands them to them. And they're like, oh, this is amazing. And they hand them the trophy. All of the Chiefs fans in that stadium would go berserk, Right? There'd be like apples getting thrown onto the field or something. I don't even know. It'd be crazy. Why? Because the Chiefs won 31 to 20. They won fair and square. Or imagine if they gave the super, or the, oh goodness, uh, the World Series. Good night. Uh, wow, baseball, World Series. What if they gave the trophy to the Indians or whatever in 2016 when the Cubs won? They go like 100 years without winning a World Series. They finally win. It's like, good job, Indians, right? Like all of Chicago would turn into Gotham City. It'd be horrible. (laughs) Not be okay. Why? Because the Cubs won fair and square, finally. As a Cardinals fan, I'd be pumped. Be like, go Indians, let's go, yeah. But they won. And there's no context in our brain where we're like, yeah, it's okay for them to give somebody else the trophy. And the same way, but in a way that is so much greater. Jesus created all of the world. He's the firstborn over all creation. He is first place. He deserves preeminence in every single area of our lives. And for us to take anything other than Jesus and to place it on that pedestal is nothing short of idolatry. You understand that if we grapple and understand who Jesus is, if we understand the significance that he holds in the universe, it has to change every single aspect of our life. 
every aspect of our life. That if you believe and understand who Jesus is, no longer can he just be something that you add into your list of priorities. But Jesus has to become your only priority and everything in your life circles around that. That the things that I value have to change and the way that I value them has to change because when I understand that Jesus is first, it's going to change the way that I live. And we're going to talk about this tonight, but it even means that I'm willing to suffer and to sacrifice for Jesus because I recognize that he's worth it. And so this morning, you and I, we have a lot of things that we love in this world, but if Jesus isn't at the top of that list, there's something going on in our heart that's not right. I love Rachel, but Rachel cannot be the first place in my life. I love my family, but they can't be first place in my life. I love my siblings, but sorry, Mason, you're not first place, right? And there's people in your life that you care about, but at the end of the day, if Jesus isn't in that first place position, if he's not the center of your world, then there's an idolatry going on in your heart and in mine. And so if we understand that, it changes the way we live to prize or to value anything above Jesus' idolatry. And so we have to make sure that we've recognized who Jesus is and then placed him in that position over our lives. Not only, though, is Jesus first place in creation, but he's powerful enough to redeem us. So look with me at verse 18. It says, and he is the head of the body, the church. And so Christ's supremacy is not limited to a location or a region. It doesn't have any limits. And because it doesn't have any limits, it says in Colossians that he's the head of the body, the church. And what I love about that is this, that even though Jesus is over all of the universe and we can't even wrap our brains around that fact, not only is he over all of the universe, but he loves his church and he loves you. And so we've got this person who is so much bigger than we can even understand and yet he desires to have a personal relationship with you and with me and he loves his church deeply says he's the head of the body the church he desires to have a personal relationship with us and it's made possible through his death burial and resurrection because only perfect people live in the presence of a perfect god and so in verse 13 and 14, we looked at that yesterday. It says that he's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have forgiveness of sins. And so Paul explains why is it that Jesus is powerful enough to save us. Because verse 18, it says he's the head of the body of the church and then he begins to explain why Jesus is powerful enough to save us. And one of the reasons is because he's the firstborn from the dead. So that idea of firstborn, it's kind of confusing, actually. In Colossians, there's two times that the word firstborn is used, and both times it's like kind of used in a slightly different way. But here when it says firstborn, it means that Jesus is the first one to rise from the dead and to beat death. So Jesus died. He's the first person to die innocently for like completely sinless. He died for us, and then he rose from the dead. He's the firstborn from the dead. And that thought is actually something that's really like, significant, right? That because Jesus rose from the dead first, now we have the hope and confidence that we're going to rise from the dead. So just think about that week with me. It was the worst week and the worst day in the history of humanity. Because on that day, our Savior died. 
He stood in the place of rebels. Every one of us here deserved to be where Jesus was, and yet he died for us. God died. And yet, we still celebrate Good Friday. We call it Good Friday. Why? Because God used the very thing that Satan intended to just turn upside down the world for evil. He used that for good. And it's through Jesus that he powerfully killed death so that we might be made alive in him. But here's the thing. God still died. Jesus still died. And for three days, it probably seemed like all hope was lost, didn't it? The disciples no doubt sat in a room and the reality of their betrayal would have just made things all the worse. They watched him get pinned to a cross. They watched him get whipped. They watched him get brought down from the cross, lifeless and laid in a tomb. And they realized, I betrayed the son of God. And for all of them sitting in that room, freaked out because they thought they were going to be next, guilty because they knew they betrayed the Son of God, they thought things would never be the same. And they were right. They were right. Because three days later, Jesus busted out of that tomb, the lamb slain before the foundations of the world, and he declared to the world that death is dead. In his death, he paid for sins and by his resurrection he declared I've beaten death and sin and death no longer have dominion and everything was changed and because he's the beginning he's the firstborn from the dead we have hope but not only do we have hope but that makes Jesus preeminent above all of creation who else busted themselves out of a grave three days after dying Lazarus no Jesus did that to Lazarus Who else did that? No one. Answer. And it's because he rose from the dead and is the firstborn over all creation that he's preeminent over all creation. Another reason why he's powerful enough to save is because he's all the fullness of God dwells in him. And truthfully, this is a very, very hard thing to wrap our brains around. But I want you to imagine with me for a second that I were to take you to the Grand Canyon There's a lot of cool things about the Grand Canyon, but I was looking up this week, and let me just read off a couple of things to you. The Grand Canyon is a hundred and, oh, excuse me, a thousand nine hundred and four square miles. So I want you to imagine for a minute, you've got this massive thing that you can barely even see across. You probably can't see. I've never been to the Grand Canyon, but I've seen pictures. It's huge. So imagine that I fill the Grand Canyon up with water to the brink. Do you want to know how many gallons of water that is? Somebody guess. Just guess. A couple billion is the highest number I'm hearing so far. It's more than a billion. 2.1 quadrillion. Quadrillion. I don't even know how many zeros that is. That's a lot. It's like a million zeros. Okay, so imagine you've got two quadrillion gallons of water. Like, imagine you take a pen, like, cap, and you try to fit the entire camp of IRBC into this pen cap. That is, like, not even scratching the surface of two quadrillion gallons of water. Imagine we go to the Grand Canyon, and I say, I'm going to fill up this cup with all of that water. You look at me, and you're like, that is impossible. I'd be like, yeah. Yeah. I could stand up here and I could say, all the fullness of God will say this is the fullness of God. Please to dwell in Jesus. And we'd be like, oh, I get it. But the reality is that's not what's happening. 
What's happening in Colossians is we're going to the Grand Canyon. It's filled with two quadrillion gallons of water. I'm saying, I'm fitting it in this Starbucks cup. And you say, that's impossible. But imagine somehow that I do that. I managed to fit all of the water in this Starbucks cup. It's 20 ounces, 26 ounces, hashtag venti. And I fit all of that water in this cup. What's going to happen? It's immediately going to have a weightiness to it that is indescribable. But you're still going to look at this cup and you say, it just looks like a cup of water. It looks normal. How could something so magnificent fit into something so common? How could something so average be so weighty? How could something that I see every single day have a significance that I truly cannot wrap my brain around? And I'd be like, I don't know, but I'm holding it and check out how strong I am. But that's what happened when Jesus came, actually in a way that's so much bigger. When Jesus came and he became a man, eternal, infinite, never had a beginning, never had an end, there before all of creation, spoke the cosmos into existence, took up residence in a human being. And I have no idea how that works, but he did. And she said, does Jesus have enough power to save me, to bring me from darkness into light? Uh, yeah, all the fullness of God lives in him. But not only that, we see that peace with God is made possible through his blood. It says in verse 20, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And there's a lot of ways throughout history that people have, been tried, to, have tried to make themselves right with God. People have tried to be moral, they've tried to be good, tried to work for it, tried to pray the right prayers, say the right things. And the reality is there's only one way that you and I can be made right with God, and it's through the blood of Jesus, and it's powerful enough to save us. It's powerful. And so this morning, I don't know where you're at. For some of you, this is the first time that you've ever heard that Jesus is that kind of a God, and you need to place your faith in him today. For others of us, you say, I believe. Jesus is God. I know. I'm a believer. And here's the thing. This message never stops getting old. And you're like, whoa, my understanding of God just blew up. That's awesome. But can I just challenge you? If Jesus is as big as Scripture says he is, that has to change the way we live. That's going to have to change some of our priorities. We're going to have to change the way that we think about our lives. And so my challenge to you is this. What in your life needs to change to make Jesus preeminent over it? And if you're not a believer, man, what are you waiting for, you know? There's nobody more amazing in the universe than Jesus, and he gives us the privilege of being in relationship with him. It's the greatest thing that you could ever do. And so, man, I just encourage you, if you haven't placed your faith in Jesus, talk to your counselor. Make it happen today. It's the greatest thing that you could do. He's big. My brain doesn't wrap around it. I don't understand it. I'm talking about things that I don't really even totally understand. But it's amazing. And this is the God that we serve. He's supreme over creation, and he's powerful enough to redeem. Let's pray together. Lord, you are so good. And we recognize that when we compare ourselves with your holiness, we feel very tiny, and we feel really broken.
And Lord, your word is just so powerful. And so I pray that you would change our minds about who Jesus is, that you'd show us in a, a new way what you've done for us in the cross, who Jesus is and the ways that that needs to impact our lives. Lord, thank you that even though we don't understand you, you're knowable, that even though you're bigger than we could ever imagine, you're close to us in our circumstances. And Lord, I pray that for those that don't know who Jesus is today, that they would place their faith in him. And for those of us that do know Jesus, that we would just new and, and freshly remember that you're preeminent and that we would bow our knee to you and say, Lord, there's no cost too big, no choice too great, no sacrifice too too significant to give to Jesus because if he's that big, if he's done that for me, then why would I not give my life for him? And I pray that we would do that today and pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.